0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversation with hosts Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. COVID-19 Community Conversation is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem, citizen of the Malakspan band of Ojibwe, and I work in media and audio focusing on sharing native voices.
0: And I'm Anthony Staley, an enrolled member of the United Nation of Wisconsin and a descendant of White Earth and Red Lake Nations, and I'm the president and the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic in South Minneapolis.
1: And we're back with more conversations, more explorations about how Indian Country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Miigwech, and thank you for joining us. So Anthony, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing really well. It's a really busy time now in healthcare. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Just a a tad busy,
1: but I'm doing well. It seems like things change constantly and the busyness is the same. Just busy, busy, busy.
0: Just kind of my new normal, I guess, and I'm okay with it. (laughs) So today on the show, we're going to talk about COVID vaccine approval for the younger children, children uh, five and above, um, which is for lots of folks, I'm sure, really exciting. Um, we're also gonna talk about booster shots uh, for folks who um, need to have that third shot.
1: That's right, and we'll also continue to talk about community responsibility. Uh, we, we, we stress this, I feel, every time, but I think it's important every time, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, that community responsibility when it comes to keeping one another as healthy as possible. And this week, we have producer Chaz Wagner, who chatted with Daniel Fry? Daniel Fry is the Bemidji Area Director of the Indian Health Service, and they discuss tribal response to the pandemic and vaccines, health equity, and much more. But before we go to them, I want to talk with you, Anthony, about how things are going in Minneapolis at the Native American Community Clinic. Pediatric vaccines are out. Are you doing that at NAC?
0: We are going to start with our pediatric visits um, for vaccines starting on Monday the 15th. And I know that there's lots of concerns that family members... I mean, it's as soon as it became available, like I started... It's kind of funny, like, you know, I my phone started blowing up with text messages from practically everybody that I knew that had small children who had been waiting and anticipating this happening, right? Like, when can I get my kid the vaccine, right? And I was like... Well, they just approved it now, tonight, and it was like at 10 o'clock at night. I was like, well, we probably need a couple days to figure out how we're going to do this. (laughs) Even though we had been talking about it and planning it for a while, um, the actual... Machinations or operations of figuring out the process and by which how we're going to do it still um, hadn't been completely thought through because we didn't know when we would get the supply and all those other things. So, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I know when it was announced, I I saw uh, the website come by for the Minnesota Department of Health, the minnesota.gov, mm-hmm. and there's a Vax for Kids site that I went mm-hmm. to and I followed all the links to see where I could get my kid his first dose, of the Mm -hmm. pediatric vaccine, COVID vaccine. And it was Mm -hmm. a little tricky uh, to find a spot. Like I was really surprised when his primary care clinic didn't have it available, but like the neighboring clinic did or like a drugstore did, but not another drugstore. So it was really Mm -hmm. kind of confusing to understand how it was being rolled out. Yeah, But that resource was pretty good, the Vax for Kids. We did find one. Awesome. We, uh drove about 35 minutes away uh, to Hibbing and Marvin got his first dose. So yeah. yeah, he got it. And he usually he's like really scared of needles <laughs> um, <laughs> and has definitely uh, hemmed and hawed about mm-hmm, vaccines mm-hmm. prior to this, but he just stood up and got his vaccine
0: yeah.
1: uh, nice. without Good. an issue. So it was really
0: exciting. Well, that's awesome. I'm really proud of him for stepping up and getting his vaccine. That's great. Just yesterday, I was talking with a relative of mine who has my four nephews who all are under the age of like, you know, nine. And they're, you know, one kid is home right now because he can't be at at school. His classroom is quarantined because they had four cases in his classroom. And and then she's, there's, there's elementary school is talking about shutting down and going virtual again. And she's like, oh my God, I can't go through another year of this, right? And so it's like, I can see the level of her anxiety, right? And she's really wanting to get her kids vaccinated and have that happen very quickly. And like, I just think that there's so much yet to folks beginning to understand the value of having your child vaccinated um, so that we can all so we can all enjoy like being close to each other and having life be as normal as possible and not have to repeat what we did last year, which is live shuttered in our homes and be quarantined and you know yeah. be par- be parents and also <laughs> teachers and also work our jobs. It's kinda crazy. Oof. Oofda. <laughs> <laughs> right? That deserves an oofta. Um, yes, it does. Yeah,
1: and Marvin oh. was was perfectly fine after no no problems. He actually got his flu shot at the same time in the other mm-hmm. arm, and that one actually bu- bugged him.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But,
1: yeah, but the COVID one was was fine, and yeah, I think for us, and I think a lot of people, you know, we have our priorities. You know, community, community health, and then also school. Like, yeah. you know, in our family, we're like, you know, we want Grandma and Grandpa and our other relatives to mm-hmm. be healthy, and Marvin will help. Marvin's getting his vaccine will help with that and also it'll be helpful to keep schools open like you
0: just said. Yeah and I think it's also really important that we understand that you know children are going into their schools they're going into like you know some of them are participating in extracurricular activities like sports or other things and they're around each other. They're they're like petri dishes of infection anyway. You know, even but right. even before COVID, you know. And one of the things that that's really important is to recognize like the potential danger that they that the the danger involved in that they maybe they'll be fine. They'll 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 catch COVID and they'll be fine, but they'll bring something home to maybe a more vulnerable family member. Or there's all mm-hmm. kinds of breakthrough cases that have. Um, made people fairly ill but people who like weren't able to get vaccinated or didn't have a very successful vaccination like immunocompromised people they're really vulnerable like and they have mm-hmm. grandparents or other people in their family systems it's just kind of really important for people to start to pay attention to like the you know the 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 relationships the interrelationships and the way in which the virus can transmit across within family systems and within social networks and, and, and be thoughtful about that.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's so much talk about, oh, there was a breakthrough case or you're know, trying to discount mm-hmm. the vaccine, which it's, you have to look at it, you have to zoom out and look at it from a wider mm-hmm. lens mm-hmm. to see the effectiveness of how, uh, you know, with the with community spread um, that, where the vaccine yeah. I think really shines. On another note, I know we try to look to the bright side while acknowledging challenges and hardship. So with that said, Minnesota is having a really tough time with the surge in COVID-19 cases. In fact, for a week in the first half of November, Minnesota has had the country's worst rate. Hospitals are stressed. I know my family has talked about not not only being COVID-conscious and safe, but also extra safe in other ways. Since hospitals are so full, it could be tough to take any emergency patients. So with rates and tightened capacity at hospitals, plus cold weather, and people spending more time indoors, Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm announced that vaccine booster shots for all adults will be approved in the state with or without federal approval. This booster protection is particularly important and timely. We need to do all we can to make sure that all Minnesotans have the full benefit of vaccine protection to help themselves, their communities, and our entire state get out of the grip of this fall COVID surge from the Delta variant. Given the very serious circumstances we're here in Minnesota, we've been communicating with our federal partners that we're preparing to move ahead independently this week to expand booster eligibility if there is no action at the federal level, which we definitely hope there will be this week.
0: As a general sort of um, recommendation, talk to your primary care provider, consult with them, and then um, follow their recommendation if they say you should be getting a booster shot because it's been six months past your last.
1: As things change on that, I'm sure we'll continue to hear more. All information can be found on the MDH website. I'd like to pivot now and bring in producer Chaz Wagner and IHS Bemidji Area Director Daniel Fry. Uh, they talk about some really great stuff, uh, some stuff to think about again and revisit, and also some new stuff as well. So uh, we're going to share that out now, and then we'll we'll talk about it after.
0: Boushoo. Hello, this is Chaz Wagner from KBFT, Boys for Tribal Radio, here in Net Lake, Minnesota. Today I'm talking with Daniel Fry from Indian Health Services. Daniel, can you introduce
2: yourself, please? My name is Daniel Fry. I'm the Area Director for the Bemidji Area Indian Health Service. Uh, I come from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. I'm an enrolled member of the Sault Ste. Marie Tribe of Chippewa Indians. I worked uh, with my tribe for seven years in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, Up until 2017, an opportunity came available uh, in White Earth uh, with the White Earth tribe. Uh, So I took the opportunity. I moved to Minnesota sight unseen. Uh, I'd never been here except for flying through the airport. Uh, And over a course of really just three years, I became the CEO, then the area director. And now I get to work with all of the tribes across the Midwest, 34 tribes, six urban sites. And that's, uh, that's my story up until today. How would you describe the current situation for the tribes right now at this point in the pandemic? We're still trying to get shots into arms. We're still trying to provide health care, and that's difficult. Uh, The difficulty comes in the fact that nurses are leaving the field, docs are leaving the field. It's harder to recruit. So even though you have some of this money that may be able to help incentivize bringing people in, it's difficult to do so because there's so much You're really just seeing this polarization, right, between those who are vaccinated, those who are unvaccinated and trying to bridge the gap so that we can get out of this pandemic. We're still in this, right? We don't have the hospital capacity uh, that, that is necessary for everybody else that needs it. Elective surgeries are being put off and tribes are in the same boat. They're trying to provide the same preventative healthcare medicine that anybody else is trying to provide, but they're short staffed. Uh, we're seeing that there's just, there's just not the, the motivation from the workforce to, to continue through this for what, almost two years now. Uh, I I meet with uh, the health directors of the tribes um, every other Thursday. We have a one-hour conversation on the phone, a teleconference that I host, and we just go over what are the needs, where are we at, and and what a lot of tribes are discussing right now is whether or not to put vaccine mandates in across the reservations. The federal government's done it, um, IHS has done it, um, so now the tribes are wrestling with those same things, but uh, like everywhere else, it, it gets political.
1: So Anthony, any initial thoughts on what Daniel Fry is talking about?
0: Yeah, you know, where we're at today, recently even just within the last couple of days when I've been looking at numbers, we're like we're, in many places we were we're exactly where we were a year ago. And it was right about now that the that the first vaccine was being rolled out, right, and we're getting ready to kind of like you know get shots into arms of elder people people at elders had been dying in record numbers, um, you know all this all this fall of last year, right? And so it's challenging for healthcare providers and nurses who, and I I think probably nurses really the you know the the the, the folks who sort of like are in those rooms every single day treating patients consoling them um, um, you know providing the you know the support to docs that is really really very psychologically emotionally and spiritually draining on those individuals right mm-hmm. it's a real serious issue across the health am I'm, I'm seeing that in the clinic we have like people who've left and we haven't been able to fill those roles for months weeks you know um, and so that's an important thing for people to remember and think about, too, when they're trying to weigh the decision about whether or not I should I get a vaccine, whether or not I should get my child vaccine, vaccinated, right? Somewhere like 30% of the new cases um, of infection are among people who are under the age of 12, right? It's just, like, crazy. Oh. Yeah.
1: Oh. yeah, and I thought it was interesting, too, when Daniel Fry mentioned that tribes are discussing whether or not to put vaccine mandates on their
0: reservations. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a big question.
0: That is a big question. I know that early on in the pandemic, like Red Lake Nation, which is a closed nation, they are, you know, here in Minnesota, they're, um, uh, my father's from Red Lake, I'm a descendant of that tribe. You know, they closed their reservation borders. They didn't let anybody come onto the reservation for like months, like close to a year probably. You know, that is certainly within their purvey and their right as sovereign nations to make those determinations and those decisions for themselves, especially within the context of like, you know, not, not everybody being um, vaccinated and the vulnerability that it presents to like elders um, and to um, people who are, you know, you know, much very vulnerable to getting seriously ill and succumbing to the disease.
1: Yeah, and it's just another example of tribal sovereignty really playing a role in tribes' response to the pandemic from masking uh, and, you know, allowing people through the borders Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, even to potentially vaccines. So I think that really transitions well into the next clip with Daniel Fry in which uh, Chaz Wagner asks him about health equity. So here is that clip.
0: What insights about health equity would you
2: like to share? Yeah, that's always a great question. You know, health equity is, is it, it's a good term uh, to really start talking about some of the disproportionate um, health care that's always been administered to to Native Americans. You know, I'm a, I'm a user of the system, my, my children, uh, my wife's a user of IHS, and what I'm always looking to do is, is be able to bring um, the best health care uh, to the tribal communities. And no matter what tribal community I go to, you know, I've been from Sault Ste. Marie down to, uh, down to Gun Lake in Michigan uh, or down to Prairie Island, down in the southern parts of Minnesota, you, you hear the same thing. You know, what is what is IHS, or what is the government doing to ensure that those treaty and those trust obligations are met, and that we are getting the full-scale health care um, that is that is meant to be given to uh, to all Native Americans through all of those treaties that were signed by our ancestors, right? And what we continually find is that for the long or for the, the history of Native Americans, the healthcare has always, been, uh, has always been underfunded. We haven't had the same equitable healthcare as you see in e- even different federal agencies, um, or uh, just in the private sector. You can always compare it to the private sector on what you're looking for. But again, if you're looking for some of the positives out of this pandemic, it has shone a light on where we are now and what it is going to take uh, to get um, the Indian Health Service um, and the tribes to that level that they need. Um, one thing that you're hearing a lot of tribal leaders talk about right now is uh, full funding uh, for the Indian Health Service. Uh, some tribal leaders put that at about $48 billion. Uh, the current level of funding for just this past year was 6.5. So we're talking, you know, almost a, what, eightfold increase that the tribal leaders are looking for. And they see momentum with the current administration with the biden administration and with congress there certainly is a positive spin on what those entities are trying to do for native american communities they recognize that they've fallen short in the past and that those equities need to be made whole Um, and now it's up for now it's up to the tribal leaders to continue to talk with their uh the congressmen uh their senators uh, and their local leaders, so that that message is, is shared all the way up on the Hill in D.C. to make sure that we get to that position where Native Americans have the same opportunities for health care as anybody else in this country, and, and even more so because that was promised in the treaty and trust.
1: Very, very good answer.
2: And uh, it is getting better, you know. Kind of it, it is. I, I, I always, you know, no matter where I go, People always say, well, you know, I stopped taking my, my family to the clinic or now I go somewhere else. But uh, to me, that's, that's not a good solution. The, the best solution is to be part of the answer, whatever it, may, it, it needs to be. And that's why I do what I do. Um, I know the doctors. I know the nurses. We hire really quality people. They, they, they come to work every day. They're motivated to do what they do. And that's why I trust to bring my kids there. I trust it they've just always been under resourced it's not a lack of skill or motivation to do what's what is right or provide that, that quality care it's just that they've they've always just been burnt out right they've always just struggled to to have all the resources and they get tired like anybody else would if you're constantly having to you know scrape and claw to get you know just your basic necessities um, but I Now's the time to take advantage of, of which way the wind's blowing, and it's blowing good for, the, for, for Indian healthcare right now.
1: What do you think, Anthony? Are you hopeful for the winds of change?
0: If there's anything that this pandemic has taught us, right, just from sort of like a really basic um, process, which is like, you know, we are all connected to each other. My my health and well-being and my very livelihood, my, my ability to draw breath and be on the planet is tied to other people doing their part to make sure that I can be safe and that they can be safe as well, right? Even if I don't know them, even if I'm unrelated to them, right? And so, like, we should all be concerned about people having equal access to healthcare. We should all be concerned with people having equal access to the vaccine, to other supports that make sure that people can stay healthy and we can, we can put an end to this pandemic money is part of that having more funding for for ihs and other tribal health services is a part of that conversation it's also having conversations about you know um uh you know the structures and the barriers that are embedded within the healthcare system itself right and those are big conversations You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. We've been talking about pediatric vaccines, booster shots, health equity, and more. Let's go back to producer Chaz Wagner and IHS Bemidji Area Director Daniel Fry.
2: Can you share and reflect on your observation? observations on some of the innovative and strength-based strategies that tribes in your region took
1: in response to the crisis?
2: Yeah, the, the, the tribes were, were so far ahead of people um, or private entities as soon as this pandemic hit. Uh, right away, uh, some of the money started coming out. March of 2020, April of 2020, Congress started passing Uh, their first three bills of the supplemental appropriations that started giving money to the tribes and private sector to start responding to this pandemic. And the tribes were the first ones to, to get creative with it okay, so we have this mic, can can we buy uh, an RV, for instance? Okay, well, what are you going to do with the RV? Well, we're going to buy a medical RV so we can do testing um, and uh, diagnostic screening out of there. So they're not bringing them into the clinic, right? Uh, then they start thinking about, well, how can we how how can we modify our current clinic just in simple ways so that we we have a respiratory clinic on one side, non-respiratory clinic on the other side. Uh, and the tribe has been doing this since the very beginning. You, you know, that was... That was probably the, the most interesting and coolest part of, of being the area director during this time was I got to have all those conversations with the tribal leaders and the health directors because they, they'd call, you know, hey, we, we got this idea. You think this is a good one? Yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. You know, if you guys are, think this is going to better the, that health outcome of your, uh, of your population, then I'm, I'm all for it. You know, let's make sure that we're, we're doing this uniquely, um, creatively, um, because there was no roadmap. Uh, there was no here's how you do it because, you know, the, the, the closest thing we had to, to a pandemic um, in recent times was 1918 during the Spanish flu. Um, so, and we certainly have, uh, you know, incredible. Um, uh, we have much more technology now than we did then. So we had much more creativity and more solutions that we could present to this current pandemic than we did in 1918. Uh, and the tribes, they did it. And then not only that, there was the cross collaboration. You know, I, I use those those biweekly calls that I have with the tribes to engage them to say, what are you seeing that works for your site in Michigan, um, and then someone in Wisco- in Wisconsin or Minnesota would pick up on that say oh yeah that's a great idea we, you know maybe we can do the same thing but it looked just you know slightly different uh, Red Lake for instance Red Lake had built a structure for a drive-through testing um, site so if you go to the to the Red Lake Hospital they built a, a new structure so you pull in uh, you, you just you, you don't leave your car you pull through a, a garage with a two-way door um, you get tested, you go out, um, and then they call you with your results, right? So that didn't exist before, um, but they, they made sure that they had these unique, uh, these unique opportunities to, make it, to take advantage of the poor circumstances that we're in, to at least make it so that we weren't disrupting all of the services within the hospital, within our clinics, because that was the goal. How do we continue to do what we need to do, but also be able to respond to the pandemic?
0: I think he mentioned some really important points. One is is like just how like you know innovative and creative and solution oriented um, many tribes were in the way that they addressed the uh, um, the crisis, you know that um, was on their doorstep, you know uh, at that moment in time. Um, it reminds me of that conversation we had before about like the buffalo and the storm, you know it's like, oh, we don't have a whole lot of time to sort of like sit down and wait for the storm to pass by. We don't have a lot of time to sort of kind of do anything else. Let's pull together and figure out some solutions and run straight towards that storm and figure it out as we're as we're as we're going along and you know native people, indigenous people, we've been doing that for centuries, and I think we're really good at it. You know, we have a lot of um you know pardon the pun ingenuity, so
1: yeah, absolutely
0: um. And I think that that's just an example of like how we, you know, so we we have we have had to just by default um, because we have had such long periods of time where we have little to no resources within our healthcare structures and other structures in our communities where we've had to sort of figure things out, right? You know, we had to like take what we had and figure it out. You know, um, create new ways to address problems. Mm-hmm. I think an example of 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 how quickly and rapidly we can adapt to new information and technology and those kinds of things. And when we are presented with a crisis like this this is an example of like how rapidly we were able to do things like roll out a vaccine. We did better than lots of large health systems did. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We did better than some of the local governments where we actually stepped in and helped cities and counties around our communities, um, get their, their citizens vaccinated because, um, um, there were so many um, challenges and barriers for those smaller areas and rural um, rural parts of the communities, our rural parts of the country, to sort of you know get those resources. But we were able to do it because we we had less barriers in our way.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we are actually winding down our conversations for this round of COVID nineteen community conversations. Can you believe it? Wow!
0: I cannot <laughs> believe it.
1: It's amazing. So it's been a real honor to talk with you for these episodes. And um, yeah, I look forward to keeping up with you and seeing the work at NAC.
0: Thank you. It's been a wonderful spending this time with you as well. And uh, I really enjoy these conversations and it's important conversations for us to have.
1: Been wonderful. So Chimigwech, producer Chaz Wagner and Daniel Fry, for your contributions today. And I just also want to say a big Chimigwech to our healthcare workers too. Um, it is amazing what you do, and uh, it, it it is not going unnoticed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening today, and Chimigwech. I'm Anthony Staley,
1: and I'm Leah lem Giga Wabamin, and
0: I wish you health. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.